0: From the suicide of her first husband to discovering the fact that she had a congenital hole in her heart in her 30s. And not to mention the fact she was teased and ridiculed as a child. Laws Antoneko knows something about overcoming obstacles and finding your own path to prosperity. And now, this successful Australian businesswoman runs four businesses, she's remarried, and she's on a mission to empower women to find their own voices of purpose and passion. And she also says that they have a seat at the table when it comes to STEM careers. This amateur bodybuilder and inspiring individual joined me this week to dish on what makes her story So uniquely special, I'm Kevin McShann. Let's have this conversation. If you're ready, I welcome to the program, and we're excited to uh, spend a couple of minutes with you uh, to learn all about your inspiring journey. So great to see you, and thanks so much for being here.
1: And thanks so much, Kevin. I'm really humbled and blessed to be able to chat to you today. You know, we we're both in this together, and we're all in this together, really. So um, thank you for connecting.
0: Absolutely, I tell people that life is a constant game of connection, right?
1: It certainly is. And your net worth is your net work. So it's, it's not what you know,
0: it's who, you know, right? Absolutely. I'm going to steal that from you eventually.
1: (laughs) Oh, I think I stole that from somebody. So,
0: (laughs) If you're not begging, you're not trying. Right. So a hundred percent. Right. So when we look at your life story, I know that you're uh, the, uh, the daughter of a nurse and a dad or a daughter of a military man as well. So I'm just wondering if I can start you off by asking you how how that uh, portion of your life has affected the person you are today.
1: Well, I guess when I look back at my life, I didn't really know any different. I just thought everybody had a dad that was very regimented and had a mom that was very empathetic and outwardly caring. Because when you think about the traits of somebody that would be a nurse and somebody in the military, they're a little bit opposing but I had a lot of friends that had military fathers who also had nurse mothers. So I think that back in the day, you know, I'm, I'm a product of the 1980s Um, back in the day, that was quite a, a standard dynamic where I was living. We lived in a military town and we had an air base near us. So there were lots of kids like me who were products of the military. Um, When I look at how that has sort of affected me growing up, when you're in a childhood of your own you, you don't really know what effect it's going to have when you get older right
0: you Absol- know, you think- yeah absolutely yeah
1: and i think looking back in hindsight it's like i did learn so many things from from having that dynamic between my parents um i inherently now see as an adult that i am quite empathetic and i am very caring Um, I am maternal. I don't want children on my own, but I love animals and there's some of the traits that come from my mom, that sort of caring and nurturing capacity. And then I look at the traits and the values that I inherited from my dad, which is a lot. Um, I'm very much like my father um, and very masculine in my thinking. So very science and fact-based. I love numbers and statistics and looking at processes. So I think for me, I thrive with uh, knowing what it is that I'm doing. So I thrive under pressure, and I thrive by scheduling. So I almost live a very regimented life. Uh,
0: I have to tell you, I have to tell you, if I if something a uh, commitment isn't on my schedule, I don't do it either. So I can yep. relate to that as well. A hundred percent. So. And I also know that you had an interesting life in sort of overcoming obstacles and coming up on the other side of prosperity. So I'm just wondering if you can reflect upon the obstacles that you've overcome and how that's sort of shaped uh, the mission that you're on today.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, You know, we're all a product of our circumstances and the conditioning that we have as we sort of take this journey that that is our lives. And I mean, if you had told me when I was a small girl that I would experience some of the challenges that I've had at this point in my life, I probably would have told you that you were full of it. <laughs> There's no way that that could possibly happen. I mean, it would seem so unreal. And when I tell my story to people, um, A lot of the time, they can't believe it. And I almost feel like I have to prove that these things happened. Um, But, you know, we're all on this path where we're faced with challenges. And in the words of um, one of my biggest mentors, Dr. John D. Martini, I always say that nothing is ever in the way. It is simply on the way. And when I look at these perceived failures that I've had um, and things I've had to overcome, I just look at them as feedback. So if I'm to reflect back on my life, I think, you know, when I was a child, I always wanted to be a performer. I wanted to be a voiceover artist. I loved people. But then I was really ambitious because one day I would think I'm going to be an archaeologist. I was really obsessed with Indiana Jones. I'm going to be an archaeologist and I'm going to go and discover some ancient civilization. Or, you know, another day I might be like, I'm going to be a famous Hollywood actress. Or another day I might be like, I'm going to go into space and I'm going to be an astronaut you know, like it would just consistently change on a regular basis. So I don't think I gave myself credit for the creativity that I actually had. I, I would never call myself a creative um, because I hang out with creators and I'm like, you're so different to me. But I think inherently I was very creative and, and I, I, look, I look back at that and I reflect on that, Kevin, and I think I've actually lived into that space through all of the challenges that I've had and I've become a source of inspiration for other people just by living our lives. And we were just having a chat actually before we got on this recording. And, um, you know, I was telling you how inspiring you are to me and you go, I'm just living my life and that's it. We're just living our lives. And I think for the first time ever, I feel so authentic in my purpose, which is to teach other people that no matter what happens in their life, nothing is too shameful or challenging that there's not, a place, a space, a time, and a face that you can share that with. Because as humans, we tend to bond through trauma, we tend to bond through grief. Um, And a lot of people are so scared of judgment, they don't want to share that stuff. But 100%, if you share some of the challenges that you're experiencing, and we just break down these facades that we build up because social media and that, you know, the stuff that we think that we have to portray to the world, if we break that down and take that mask off,
0: you'll find that you'll
1: actually establish much deeper, more rich, genuine, meaningful and long-term connections with other people by just sharing part of that journey.
0: Yeah, and I I also know that you dabbled in basketball, musical theatre, just to name a few, and you also uh, had... uh, a former uh, life as a track athlete. So as a former sports reporter, I'm interested to get, get your thoughts on the athletic parts of your life as well.
1: Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned those things. Cause I do forget that I actually went through all of that stuff. I was so focused on being a high achiever and it wasn't that I meant to be a high achiever. It's just that my dad's expectations of me were very, very high being from the military, um, and I was the oldest of three kids, well, I am the oldest of three kids, let's talk in present tense. Um, I always wanted to sort of win my dad's love by being good at things. And and so part of that ambition in me was to be good at school and to try really hard. I've always tried really hard at everything that I do. Um, But some of that was explored through athletic ambition. And it was interesting, as I was growing up, I was very tall. And I was one of the tallest girls in my grade. So naturally, when you've got a basketball team that needs some players in it, I was asked to, to, to play. And I slowly worked my way up to sort of state level. And this is going back when I was an early teenager. And then I found that I really enjoyed sport in general. And I think what I loved about sport and athleticism is that it's just like life, right? You've got to train hard. You've got to work at it you've got to put the time in, you've got to do the work on yourself and you've got to learn to accept these failures because you can't win all the time. If you win all the time, you never learn anything. And what that taught me was that losing can be feedback on so much. And, you know, I remember even when I was in my track sports, so I was a sprinter. um, If I, you know, if I, if I didn't win or I didn't place in that sort of, top three, I would get really hard on myself quite a bit. And I would get really, really jealous. And that sort of brought out some emotions in with me that I think that I needed to experience at that age. Because as an adult, you know, it's really taught me to sit back and take a different perspective on things when things don't necessarily go the way that you planned, especially if you've trained hard. And, you know, as an adult, I've actually pursued a a, um, a hobby as an amateur bodybuilder. And, you know, it's great to sort of, see what that looks like as an adult, having experienced athleticism as a child. And you appreciate it a lot more. And when people win and you may not necessarily place as, as highly as you'd expect to, you still take something very positive from that experience and you celebrate Oh, you celebrate the wins of other people as well. So sport is one of those things that's always been a very inherent part of my life.
0: And Dr. Well, i I'm, I'm fascinated with your story from this perspective in terms of, overcoming the uh, barriers that uh, present themselves in life. So I'm just wondering if you could provide some thoughts on not being afraid to, to sort of capture the goals in life that you set for yourself. What would you say to a person who may be watching or listen, listening to this about the importance of capturing what it is that's important to them?
1: I think, I think a lot of people, especially at this day and age, and it's, it's hard for me to to provide updated commentary on this because I was a product of the eighties, as I mentioned before. So, you know, technology didn't play a big part of my life until I became an adult. I didn't have a mobile phone or a mobile device until I was 18 and it was just a basic handheld mobile phone. So, you know, you weren't attached to social media or the scrutiny of other people. so when I look at setting goals and having values and the importance of what that is for people, I can only speak from my perspective. Um, I've always set goals, whether I recognize it or label it as that or not. Um, through school, we'd have assignments. I would always plan. I mean, I was a crammer when it came to like exams and stuff. That is something that I used to do a lot. Um, but it got me through because I'd be able to strategize and reverse engineer things. And that's how my brain works. So not everybody's like that though. And I find, especially as a coach dealing with clients, um, a lot of people do get very much stuck in their belief systems and they um, don't have flexible thinking. And, And it's interesting. I remember sort of at university, I would make friends with a lot of people and then touch base with them years after we graduated. And it's like, they never did anything. With their life and we all know people like that you know will will speak to them and they're constantly just addicted to their problems you know and they never seem to make any progress and the reality is that if we just continue to perpetuate that cycle we're going to get to the end of our life and have a lot of regret because we didn't take action so if there's one tip that I can give people, it's to actually sit down and work out what your values are in life. And it wasn't until I did that that I actually skyrocketed my entire life. My, my personal life improved. Although I was overcoming a lot of adversity, my first husband passed away, he took his own life. I've had a hole in my heart. I've had a lot of health conditions you know, over the years that have, have been quite debilitating at, at times. But because I've always set a goal And I've broken that down into milestones. And my goal is to reach as many people and teach them that they can live extraordinary lives, but you've just got to have a blueprint. You've just got to have steps and you've just got to see that you're working towards that and staying inspired. So if that's my main goal and that's the reason that I'm here and that's my purpose, everything that I do every single day links into that. So if you don't have any idea what your values are and my values are learning teaching and being mobile, you know, keeping my, my, my health in check. They're my three biggest values. If I'm not doing and taking daily action every single day towards those three values, then I'm not getting closer to my goal. So unless you can work out what those values are, you cannot move forward. And I think for a lot of people just doing the work and sitting down going, okay, my biggest value is family, financial freedom, or whatever it is for them then you can start to work out what are the small daily actions that I can take every single day and then set milestones in the future. You're always working towards something bigger than yourself.
0: Yeah, I always tell people to never to miss out on their opportunity to maximize their moment of influence, right? So I, absolutely. I can relate to that, absolutely. But can you also tell me about your journey in college? I know when you finished your undergrad, you became interested in commerce and uh, social sciences. So can you tell me about that part of your life as well?
1: Yeah, it was interesting. My journey through uni was quite odd. I, um, because I was a high achiever at school, and I'm not tooting my own horn by any means here, but I was very good at all of the subjects that I studied. Um, I had really high grades. So when it was time to make a decision about what I wanted to do at university, this is in in school, at high school, I really struggled to make a decision about what it was that I thought that I was going to be doing for the rest of my life. And I find there was a lot of pressure on me um, to make a decision. It's like whatever you choose at uni, you're gonna be doing for the rest of your life. So I went with a subject that I was really, really good at, which was information technology. I got the award. Um, in my grade when I graduated from high school in information technology. And this is going back into the very early two thousands when it was um, an exciting new thing that was sort of coming out and there was a lot of hype around it. And I managed to get a scholarship into university um, as a female in a space that was predominantly um, influenced by men. So I started information technology and then realized about, uh, you know nine months into that degree, that it really wasn't a good fit for me. I was um, I was very charismatic, and I found that a lot of the people that I was with, they just didn't quite get me. I, mean, I, I felt like I just didn't feel, fit the culture. So the next year I transitioned to another degree, which was more in the creative space. so I, I moved into creative industries, thinking that I was creative. Um, and I used a lot of my degree that I'd done so far as credit towards that. So I got recognition of prior learning. And then continuously over the next four years, I just changed degrees all the time. Um, And every time I just feel like I didn't fit. But it's interesting because at no point did I consider myself business savvy. Although when I was 15, I actually started my first business at school. And I've sort of always run my own enterprises ever since I was a teenager. So here I am at uni just thinking, you know, here I am in in the maths and the science-based subjects. And then really just trying to discover who this person actually was by changing degrees all the time. Unfortunately, I actually ended up getting sick um, into my third year and I was diagnosed with a chronic autoimmune condition and I had to take time off uni. And that actually gave me time to work and earn an income and think, think about what it was that I actually wanted to do. Um, And in the end, I ended up with an arts degree, which as a really smart kid, kind of, feels like you've disappointed yourself because it wasn't really what I set out to do Um, and I used to think an arts degree was just a waste of time but interestingly enough because of the diversity of all the subjects that I studied over that course of my university career I actually accumulated this really awesome skill set so when after my degree um, I decided that I wanted to go into business I could utilize all those skills I could do all my, my own marketing I could write press releases i could design all of our marketing material Um, i could have conversations with people and have articulate communication um i could design all of our own databases i could do all of the email stuff like i could do i could literally do most of the stuff and then i just self-taught myself how to run a business without any formal qualification in that field but man i wouldn't go back and change a thing I know a little bit about a lot of stuff. That's how I always sort of describe my skill set. I have a very broad um, breadth. I have a breadth of skills. I don't have great depth in a lot of things unless I'm specifically interested, but then I connect myself with other people who know more about certain subjects. And when I need to call on those people or call on that information, I just refer people to those um, other key people in my network.
0: And there's nothing wrong with being a sponge of knowledge, right? Exactly. So uh, I know that you're also a big on uh, on making sure that women and girls uh, find a passion for a STEM careers as well. So can you tell me about the importance of the diversification of women in, in STEM careers?
1: A hundred percent. And, you know, this is a really great point because, you know, right now, globally, we're having like an invigoration of the tech industry. And it's interesting to watch because I remember back in the early 2000s when it was this big tech boom and every person wanted to be in information technology. We haven't really labeled it as that anymore. It's sort of shifted and morphed into something bigger. Um, And I love that, you know, when I was at university studying um, information technology, I was one of about four women in an auditorium full of blokes. And there were hundreds of men because that's where our mindset was at. Now, like fast forward, oh, 20 years, pretty much. Oh my gosh, that's so scary. That's 20 years ago. Oh my gosh, nearly. So fast forward 20 years. And what I'm seeing is we've got more thought leaders um, than ever before in this space. We've got this amalgamation of tech and AI and all of this exciting stuff that I remember studying when when I was a child. And it's sort of coming to fruition now. Um, but I still see that women are still the minority in that space, which, you know, is a little bit frustrating, but there are so many amazing, inspiring women in that space. So if you are a female that's wanting to, you know, pursue a career in like the STEM space, um, go for it, go for it. There is no stopping you because you know what? We need feminine energy in those spaces we do it's a very different energy to masculine energy and you know men and women and anybody in between we all have an amalgamation of those energies within us but we definitely need more representation of feminine voices so if that's you nothing is stopping you at all
0: Diversif- you were
1: you just stop- yeah you're just stopping you
0: yeah diversification is the key to the spice of life in my opinion right Everybody, 100%. Every, everybody has something to offer in life, right?
1: Yep. A hundred percent, mate.
0: Yeah. I'm also wondering if we can circle back to sort of the emotional part of your life and how you overcame having that congenital heart uh, problem and the, su- the suicide of your first husband and how that s- uh, shaped you as a person and what you learned about yourself.
1: Yeah. You know, like I, when I look back at my life, it has been a string of very challenging situations. And I don't think I've given myself enough credit really most of my life actually just pushing through. And people say, you know, how did you get through that? Just excuse me. I just got to adjust my headphone. Go, how did you get through that? I, go, I don't know. I just kept going. I don't really know any other way to answer that, but when I think about it, I think, I think my entire life, I've been quite resilient. And, you know, my forefathers, you know, like my, my grandfather, uh, who was one of my biggest mentors, you know, he, he lived through a war, my grandmother, she's still alive, and she, she lived through a war, they lived through the blitz in London, and just kept going. So I think genetically there is like this this tendency to just push through i don't know where we come from i know we're scots so we're pretty resilient and pretty um pretty stubborn people somewhere along the line but the reality is that it's always been in my dna just to keep pushing through when so i when i when my husband passed away at that point i hadn't actually lost anybody in my life other than great grandparents, which I didn't have a very deep and, you know, know, it's not like I didn't care about my great grandparents, but I didn't have those connections with them. I was still a child, you know, you don't establish that rapport with somebody. Um, And really up to that point, I'd only sort of left those older relatives I've only, I'd only sort of experienced the loss, sorry, of those older relatives and, and animals, which is very devastating as a child, but you know, I hadn't even lost a grandparent at that point. And so when Brian took his own life, that was 2 days after my 31st birthday it was the best worst thing that ever happened to me because as much as i wish that he was still here wishing doesn't really achieve anything what that emotional roller coaster taught me about myself i can never ever go back and change that and people say you know people will never understand when you say it was the best thing that ever happened to me but it was it It broke down so many barriers of self-belief that I had about death and about the circle of life and about grief and about trauma and about identity. I mean, every single thing that I knew to be true was turned on its head through that one experience. And subsequently, a month after Brian died, my grandfather died, who was my biggest mentor. He was the oldest living relative I had. He was 96 and he passed away. And I handled that differently to the way that I imagined that I would, because I was always so scared of death because I'd never experienced it. So I was just scared of it. And we we get scared of the things we don't know because they seem foreign to us. So what that taught me about grief was that you can move through it, but it also taught me that people that haven't experienced grief just don't get it because I was one of those people. I didn't get it. And all of my friends over the next sort of 18 months after Brian passed away, they all sort of left my life because they said that I'd become self-centered. They said that I didn't contribute much to the relationships. And when I look back and reflect on that, I mean, a lot of those people have reconnected and said, look, I'm really sorry that that actually happened, that they've sort of apologized for their sort of handling of the situation. But I think when you're going through so much emotional turmoil, you're almost trying to give from an empty cup. You can't give. You can only take from people. And if that is perceived as uh, self-centeredness or selfishness, then that is just a sheer projection of somebody else's own um, inadequacies reflected on you. So over the time, I sort of built that cup back up, moving through grief, moving through emotion, and seeing all parts of that spectrum. And I went basically from channeling that, going, this is so hard, this is so life-changing, this is so catastrophic, to becoming an obsessed bodybuilder, where I was completely in control of everything. So completely out of control with my life and complete chaos and turmoil to channeling all of that resilience to the point where I went to an equal amount in the opposite direction of full control. I was weighing my meals. I I knew exactly when I was going to train. I would sleep. I would live by this clockwork of habits. And that isn't healthy either. None of those emotions are really Long term or sustainable. If you're sitting in a victim mindset, that's not sustainable. If you're sitting in a complete control freak mindset, that's not sustainable. And so, what it taught me as a human is that you need to experience all those levels of emotion across the spectrum, but you've got to find that place in the middle where you're fulfilled, where you're purposeful, where you're happy, where you feel like you're creating success and abundance. And that's where I am right now. And if it wasn't for that emotional journey that I've been on, and with my health as well, like my health isn't in control. I do as much as I can to keep my health in check. I eat really well. I sleep really well when I can. I meditate. Um, I exercise as much as I can without overdoing it now. But my health still has its moments. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was using a wheelie walker. So to, to get I couldn't even get out of bed. I needed somebody to help me get out of bed. I mean, and I'm a very able-bodied person, but that's where my health takes me. And I just have challenges every single day. I just take every moment by moment. And that's how I love living my life because I'm always in the moment. I can't not be in the moment now.
0: <laughs> well, life happens in the moment and not in the past, right?
1: Exactly. Exactly. So. Great words.
0: And you, you also say that you believe that life happens for you and not uh, to uh, you. So I'm wondering if you can explain that model for me.
1: Well, I used to always think when I first got sick, so when I first got diagnosed with my first, my sort of initial health stuff at the beginning of that journey, I was very much set in a victim mentality. I was like, I can't believe this has happened to me. Why is this happening to me? Whoa, whoa, whoa! This sucks, and a lot of nel- negative self talk, um, and getting addicted to the problem. You know, thinking you know if I'd done this, maybe it would be different. And and actually, Tony Robbins said people should all over themselves. I should have done this, and I should have done that, and. You know, I was just sort of stuck in this vortex of of just being addicted to being a victim. And, you know, I needed people to feel sorry for me all the time because that gave me some sort of external validation. And I'll, I'll be the first to admit that I was that person for a very long time. You know, the reality is that I didn't have to be that person anymore. So coming out of that and living in the moment and being where I am has really taught me that you can just really get on with your life if you start looking outside of yourself. And I think for a lot of people, they get so caught up in the daily grind of just being themselves. They forget that there's so much out there in this world. There are so many people that you can inspire, that you can help just by living your life. And the daily intricacies of my life are so diverse all the time that Honestly, I can't imagine being that person anymore, being addicted to the problems because problems don't exist. Only solutions exist.
0: Well, absolutely. And I tell people that life is what you make of it, right? So we, yeah. we, we all have circumstances. It's how you respond to those cir- circumstances that define you as a person, in my opinion. So I, I can relate to that as well. But my final question for you is uh, when you're not working and have some free time to yourself, what do you like to do to decompress and sort of find what it, what it is that makes you happy internally as a person?
1: That's a really good question. And it's very poignant that you ask this at this point in my life, because for the last... 18 months, I actually really haven't taken any time off. I run four businesses because that's just in my nature. And I forget that I do all that because I just love what I do. And I get paid to do the things that I love and live my life. But when I actually give myself a moment and for the last two weeks, I've actually had every weekend off and I I will continue to plan to do that. Yes, I know, right? And my husband's like, I have remarried now also in case... You think I'm talking in past tense. Um, So I've remarried and um, my husband goes, are you feeling all right? Like, you're not working. You're not on your computer tapping away at the keyboard. I'm like, I'm just actually, you know what? Like, I need this. I, I forget that I can have this anytime I want. Reading for me, reading is like, over the last year, I've actually been reading a book over the last year. That's how long it's taken me to read it because I haven't given it the time that it deserves. And I just smashed out the rest of that book in like a weekend, you know, and I used to read a book every two days as a teenager. So spending time learning is one of the things I just love to do. Spending time with my dog. (laughs) I love spending time with my dog. He's so relaxing. Like I just watch him and he just lies on his back. I'm like, mate, if I could come back in my next life as you, I would be so stoked. He just has the best life, but he's like me as a dog, like, but he just knows to relax more. He's just like this full working dog and he just wants to play, 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 play now, 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 now. But then he just chills out and I watch him. I'm like, man, you have like the best life ever. I'm so jealous. But those are probably the two things and spending time with my husband doing cool stuff. We never plan things. We just do things really randomly. And I love that. He's brought that out of me. So spontaneous stuff with my dog, and a bit of reading on the side.
0: Gotcha. Well, life is a, a grand adventure. That's what I always tell people. The best part of living life is the adventure that, that you create for yourself, right? So
1: Yeah, and life is one big adventure and, and people have got to remember that they are in control of the way that they handle life. And that might be the only thing you're actually in control of is the way that you perceive circumstances. And you can take that as many ways as you want. But if you just realize that, Things are going to happen external to you that you can't control. Things might happen internal to you that you can't control. All you can control is the way that you perceive it.
0: Absolutely. Hey, Lars, I thoroughly enjoyed our time together, and I want to thank you for a revealing and consequential conversation. We really had a blast getting to know you, and I want to thank you uh, for your time this afternoon.
1: And thank you so much, Kevin. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you and um, great questions. Well, Thanks thanks. for taking the time out to research and, you know, ask some excellent questions.
0: Absolutely. And thanks for sharing your uh, inspiring story and thanks for your time today. Thank you. Hey, we're done. That was great. Um,